1: Welcome into to the Bears Illustrated Podcast. I'm Garrett Ross. He's Pernay Malampati. Man, last night we had the Final Four. This is something we've all been anticipating. Uh, it's, I, I think that at the end of the day, dude, you had some blue bloods in the mix. I know you got a new blood in your mind when you talk Villanova. <laughs> Were you surprised at all how the games turned out uh, yesterday? And are you surprised of the two teams in North Carolina and Kansas who are going to lay it all on the line for the championship tomorrow night?
0: I wasn't surprised. They kind of actually turned out how I anticipated. Um, I thought Kansas would be able to handle Villanova fairly easily. Villanova made a run in the second half with Colin Gillespie and a couple of other guys hitting some shots. But Kansas was able to pull away. Ochai Agbaji broke out of his slump. Um, David McCormick just dominated Villanova inside. They don't have anyone big enough to deal with him and we could see the Justin Moore injury hurting Villanova on the court. On the other side, it was a it was a battle between UNC and Duke, and it was just awesome to see this rivalry game, the first time these teams have met in the postseason, well, in the NCAA tournament. It was just awesome to see it actually live up to all the hype that had been out there for the last week. Coach K's last game, possibly the greatest rivalry in American sports, finally playing in the Final Four. And it was an awesome game. The players went out there, played their hearts out, and UNC came away with a victory because I think they are just a little bit better on the court.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I was kind of expecting Duke in that game to come out, uh, have a little more edge to them. Uh, it kind of really avenged that loss at Camden, you know, but shout out to North Carolina. And I, after watching the Tar Heels, and I know we've talked about this, but seriously, after seeing them handle Baylor the way they did, I was like, this team is this team is different. This team is special because, I mean, Baylor was elite, right? And for them to – only other team who's really done that was Kansas, you know? And that was up in Lawrence. But it, that was one thing that really caught my attention. And for them to keep on rolling the way they did, you know, you didn't really have a hiccup against UCLA. Uh, you get past the Bruins and, and you get here. It has been really impressive. And I felt like – there was going to be a lot of pressure in this game kind of leading up with all the outside distractions similar to it was the last time these two met. But I think both coaches did a good job of kind of like balancing and keeping the noise to a minimum Um, and North Carolina just come out and was really impressive Uh, for me. I thought Duke's... I was surprised to see John get in that early foul trouble the way he did. And if there was a point when listening to the broadcast where they were talking about Baycott and uh, the way he just engages and creates the, the physicality down low. And I think in the second half... Really, if you look when John got that fourth foul, remember Coach K was kind of frustrated. He's talking to the officials like that was really an offensive foul. And Baycott caused that. And I feel like they kind of changed how they officiated that game in the second half. But overall, what are your impressions of Armando Baycott? I mean, we, we saw what he did against Baylor, but to do it on this level and can do it consistently, even through that injury last night, what are your thoughts on this young man?
0: He's a monster. He had 21 rebounds, I think, yesterday, along with 11 points to give him another double-double. He got Mark Williams in foul trouble early. He had two fouls in the first five minutes to the first half, forced him to sit for basically the remainder of the first half. And Mark Williams was a guy who could have given UNC a lot of trouble. seven feet tall. He's he's athletic. He plays defense really well. So it was huge to see Armando Bay, to, to have Armando Bakai get Mark Williams into foul trouble. And then like I said, get Theo John into foul trouble too, getting four fouls in the first half. So that was that was huge. He was a big rebounding presence, obviously. You uh Duke had to pay attention to him, and then he helped facilitate the offense from the inside. He's he's UNC's most important player. And we saw a ankle injury late in that game. Um he's- healthy
1: for them to beat Kansas and see the crazy thing I'm sitting there watching that Kansas Villanova game and I didn't really have any doubt I knew Kansas would take care of uh, of Nova and you mentioned the injury that to more that's obviously a part of it but even early on dude watching that game I was like this is This is the Villanova team that I remember. You know, like Villanova come to Waco and Baylor just absolutely put it on them, and that's why I've been apprehensive and I've kind of been hesitant with Villanova throughout this whole run was because I've seen them at their their lowest point. You know, and I know what it takes to beat them, and Kansas just it looked like a carbon copy of what Baylor did to them, and and I think that when you look at this game coming up. Kansas is going to have to have solid performances across the board. My concern is um, McCormick. When you look at David McCormick, that was a historic performance for him on the biggest stage, and hell of a performance. It was it was fantastic to watch. But can he do that again? And can he do that against the toughest opponent that he's going to face all season?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've been saying that you can't get that Villanova defeat to Baylor out of your
1: mind. No, man. Couldn't. The whole
0: time. And – Oh, this week, Kansas, the Big 12, I think it shows how great the Big 12 was this year. Um, and then, yeah, McCormick's going to have to play really well for Kansas to beat UNC, especially if Armando Baycott's health. That's why I think Baycott's health is such a factor, because McCormick has the ability to just dominate inside. He sometimes has lapses both on the offensive and defensive side of the floor, he, he loses focus, and that's why I think UNC could take advantage there. But yeah, it's gonna be huge for Armando Baycott to defend David McCormick.
1: Hey, I think it was kind of it's kind of funny too when you look at how this shaped out because all the talk and rightfully so, all the talk and all the focus has been on Coach K, you know, his final ride and everything. But at the end of the day it's really, it's not even about him. It's about Roy Williams, man. I mean, you, you go and you build Kansas. You win the national championships. Uh, you, this is a guy that was at North Carolina, studied under Dean Smith, has the opportunity to go back. And, you know, he, he wins some championships at North Carolina. He molds Hubert Davis, turns the program over to him under the first year, and he gets him in the national championship. Like, if you're, if you're sitting there, who do you root for in that situation? Like, if you're Roy Williams, are you going to come out like a half-and-half half jersey like we used to see in the early 2000s or something? Like, how, how do you think he's going to spend this night?
0: I feel like he's going to root for UNC. If I if I correctly, he played there. He he was under Dean Smith for a long time, and then I UNC for a long time. There was a reason he left Kansas to go to UNC, even after his success at Kansas, um, and them to some final fours he has you art cool so i think rooting and see but like obviously he'll still have some some love for kansas maybe he'll have like a, a kansas hat hat or something um but i'm gonna be honest garrett i'm happy in a way that duke didn't make championship shift because if they did this would just be all about coach k's game can you finish on top and i'm glad we get to see them focus on the game itself and the matchup between unc and kansas um and i guess roy williams does get his retirement party
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that's a that's a really good point this is a intriguing send-off for him even though he's been out of the game for a year and the, the crazy thing for me when i look at this is and look it's it's kind of i don't know how you want to put it half salty or whatever but thinking back and looking at this, a healthy Baylor team in my mind has no problem. Like to me, they're, back-to-back national championship champions Absolutely. it's it's crazy and to me also even before that when you go back to that COVID year I felt like that squad with Freddie Gillespie and them had a legitimate opportunity to win a championship as well uh so I didn't look I didn't go to Baylor I've just I've lived in this area for a long time I, they're my home team I want to support them but I'm not a Baylor fan I'm not like somebody who went like you you're you're a you are a Baylor bear. You're an alumni. When you look at this, does is it frustrating? Does it frustrate you knowing what could have been?
0: I know plenty of Baylor fans and friends who are frustrated because of this, and like one of my friends was like, "I can't even listen to Final Final Four talk because Baylor (laughs) should be here." But I, I'm not frustrated. I'm just, I'm still happy and just sitting on that national championship from last year because it's. Like What else can you ask for than your team winning the national championship, winning March Madness? Most fans don't get this experience. Um, And it also kind of makes me happy that we're seeing this team that Baylor lost to in overtime with a depleted squad and a team that Baylor beat in the regular season in Kansas facing off in the national championship kind of puts Baylor back on the stage even though they're not. Um, And it also shows how great the Big 12 is, obviously. Last year we had... Baylor the national championship. This year, Kansas is in in the national championship. The last tournament before Baylor's, Texas Tech was in the national championship to overtime. And 2020, the COVID year, Kansas both would have gotten one seat. I think Kansas would have been my favorite that year to win the national championship. So it's just a
1: you know, and even to, to to add on to that, right? When you, when you look at the past couple of years, and you could probably go back to even three, and, and probably go back to that COVID year as well. Throw Houston in the mix, right? Like th- this is a program who, yeah, I, I think you could go ahead and consider them a Big Twelve program, even though they're not they're not here yet, but they are coming. Uh, so I think that just kind of shows how bright the future is for the big 12 to contain, continue the sustained success. And I'm going to be interested to see what you could do. Uh, I think it's obviously one of the, the best league in the nation. Um, you have some great coaches. You've had some great coaching turnover. What can, um, you know, like what can Jerome Tang bring to to Kansas state? is that another program that can take that next step to getting back into the mix as well, to make the, the league even deeper. So it's going to be interesting to see, but when it's all said and done, who's the confetti falling on Monday night?
0: I'm going with the UNC. I got I got to stick with them before the Final Four, and I think they're gonna all rests on the health of Armando Baycott. If he's healthy, I think he takes over the game, and I think he 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 doesn't dominate, but I think he outplays David McCormick. And UNC has so many guards, and Caleb Love, and and RJ Davis. Just a couple of them have to play really well. Um, but Kansas is really good. Oleg Bogie is, I think, on the court even better than Baycott when he's at his best. Brown is obviously good. Um, They're they're a good team, and if Bay Cut's not healthy, I'm going to be very, very worried about my pick. I'm going with UNC. You know what,
1: man? (laughs) I I would like to see another Big 12 team bring it home. I would. But I got to go with my gut and – Whatever it is about this North Carolina team, they're playing some elite basketball right now, man. Brady Manick has really been lights out. I I think he's helped his draft stock significantly rise. Um, But they are a really solid squad, well-coached, and well-deserving. So I'm with you, man. I think it's going to be North Carolina when it's all said and done. And, you know, we'll see. Uh, regardless I think that when you look back on this season uh, it was very successful once again for the Big 12 as a whole Uh, I think that's going to be even more to build on and I think it kind of it adds it puts more pressure right on these teams that the standards the bar has been raised so high that you need to continue that success so and I know coach Drew has said it a number numerous times that he would love to see three to four teams in that final four uh it's really a possible it's really a possibility when you look at it so it might happen next year we don't know but it's been a really really fun season man and while it is over in Waco Football season is getting underway. Uh, Coach Aranda and the Bears were on the practice field. They were actually at McLean Stadium yesterday uh, on Saturday for their practice. So uh, we're going to get into some football talk coming up next here. We're going to take a look at some of the areas of concern regarding this Baylor team. Uh, We're going to dive into that next here on the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Fernay here with you. And as promised, we're going to get into some of this football. And, and while Baylor is coming off a very successful season, man, uh, and they return a lot of good players, right? Like you return four of your five offensive linemen. Uh, you return a lot of defensive linemen. And Well, we've talked about how important the trenches are going to be this season. There are going to be some areas of concern. And me and you were pitching this idea earlier. We were going back and forth. And I think we both had some group – we had the same groups in mind. Um, and I want to start with you. And let's start on the defensive side. When you look at this defense – What is one area of concern you have as we head into 2022 season?
0: Yeah, so I hate to even call it an area of concern because I'm not truly concerned about it, but I think the area where there's the most question marks would be the defensive backfield. We lose so many players. Baylor loses Jalen, three, JT Woods, Kalon Barnes, Jaron McVay, who was the one who had the McPlay in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, They even lose Raleigh Texhada and Raleigh Tejada and Zeke Brown. That's six guys from the defensive backfield that are entering the draft. So you have so much to replace there. Um, and I I trust this this coaching staff. I trust the players coming in. You have Lorando Johnson, who's going to be a starter, in the star position, which is arguably the most important position on the defensive side of the ball. And he's really talented. I think he was a four-star recruit. He he actually declared DB numerous universities do in this offseason so he's he's gonna be good but we, we just haven't seen him play as, as much and then you got you got seniors at the rest of the positions you have mark milton al walcott um christian morgan at safety so i think they'll be fine i have to see
1: yeah that that's interesting too because that, that was one area where i'm i'm kind of apprehensive and I, I think that walcott is really going to kind of step up and become that vocal leader on the back end. Uh, I think he showed some bright spots last year. Uh, Lorando Johnson, that's a really good player to keep an eye on. I think he's going to be a guy who can really flourish in the system, whether that's this year or, or whether it's, you know, the year after. I think that's somebody you're going to see take their game to the next level. Uh, also, I think it helps when you have guys, especially when you're young on that back end, like uh, that you can rely on, especially like TJ Franklin, you know, a guy Gabe Hall, those guys up there. Uh, and also, Dylan Doyle. When What Dylan Doyle can do from a leadership standpoint um, is really important. And I think that not just from a defensive aspect, but across the whole the whole team, I think Dylan Doyle, when he speaks, everybody listens. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see, as well as the, the progression of Matt Jones uh, from a leadership standpoint as well. Uh, so I think they're really good up front. When you look at the, this group – like how how beneficial or how much pressure, or how much responsibility do you see the, those front seven having and helping out these guys in the back?
0: That, that feeds right into my next point, which I was going to say, when you have such a strong front seven, but like you have a great front four on the defensive line and you have good linebackers who are leaders it takes all the pressure off of the secondary so these guys can just go out there and focus on playing football doing their job and making sure the opposing offenses don't have huge completions i think that the front seven is going to be the strength of this defense and it's going to help the secondary who's also talented just not as talented as this front seven
1: yeah that's that's really true and See, on, on the offensive side, when I look at this, um, I, I think it's almost mirrors what you see on the defensive side because you have the front line who you know you can really rely on. Uh, you look at the quarterbacks. To me, that's like your linebackers. You know you're going to rely on Gary Bohannon, but it's the play, and, and you know you're going to get great play, or we really don't know what we're going to get. I'm not going to lie. We don't know what the hell we're going to get from the running backs. We don't know who's <laughs> going to be the starter. That's one question and one concern, but another one for me is the the wide receiver core. Um, you know, when you look, you've lost RJ Sneed, you've lost Taekwon Thornton, you've lost Drew Estrada, all three of those guys um, are, they were at pro, pro day the other day and they're going to try their luck in the NFL draft. So that leaves really your main receivers coming back are going to be they're not even receivers. It's going to be Ben Sims and it's going to be Drake Dabney at your tight end position who are guys who were really relied on last year. And I think they're going to have to have more of a role this year in the offense. But at the same time, the guys that you were looking at to step up, like Hal Presley, uh, the sophomore coming in, he's injured. Uh, you know, He broke his left foot the other day. Don't know when he's going to be back. Uh, we've mentioned before about the local product from clean shoemaker, Monterey Baldwin, and the early success he had last year. I mean, this was a guy that was coming in as a freshman, and he saw the field in uh, special team situations and things before guys who come before him, like Jalen Ellis and Seth Jones. Uh, this is a guy who pulled his hamstring. Uh, it, we, we know how important that can be for your speed, guys. We saw Gary go through it last year. Uh, Gary Bohannon go through that last year. Uh, Jalen Ellis is one I mentioned I've been waiting on Jalen Ellis to break out for about two or three years now. I, I remember him coming out of Cedar Ridge high school and B was like Sean Bell's number one receiver there when he was still the head coach. And he had, I mean, he had a lot of upside, but for whatever reason, it's taken some time to develop. I'm, I'm hoping that he will get out there and, and be more of a contributor this year. Um, but look for a guy like Armani Winfield and, and, While he's young, I think they coming in, dude, he's a four-star receiver, um, elite. This is a guy who could really step on the field and and kind of do what Monterey Baldwin did last year and get some early reps. I think you're going to have to rely on him. And then you also got to throw into the fact that Josh Fleeks is no longer a receiver. You know, this is a guy who they've converted to the, wide, uh, to the running back position. I'm sure they will use him in multiple packages. We'll, I probably would see him some at the receiver spot, maybe the slot. But when you look at this list and you think of the roster at the wide receiver position, is there any body that you expect to step up and be that number one? Or are you concerned at all, not even just the number one, but across the board of who are going to be your starting receivers?
0: So I expect Gavin Holmes to step up and be the leader. I don't know if he's going to be the number one receiver because he's not as talented as some of these other guys, but he, he's a good receiver and I expect, he's he's the vet on this in this receiving core. So I expect him to be the leader and help the other guys develop and come up and play well. Um, maybe we'll see Jalen Ellis finally break out. He was sitting behind Taekwon Thornton the year before. There were there were. I mean, RJ Snead was playing. Denzel Mims was there for a while. So maybe now, maybe now he's developed and he'll play. Also, I think that Josh Fleek's moving over to running back, the fact that the team was confident enough to do that, I'm hoping, and I think that speaks to the fact that they're not too concerned with the wide receiver position. Because if they were, then they probably wouldn't have moved over a guy who is one of the two most experienced wide receivers on Baylor's roster right now. So I'm hoping that that speaks good things about the receiving core. Um and at the end of the day, football teams are built from the inside out. Baylor's offensive line is great. We're going to have really good quarterback play, and we'll get into some of that in the next segment. The running back position has a lot of talent, and it depends on the offensive line for the most part. So I think the running game will be good. Tight ends are good. And then because these receivers are talented, I'm, I'm high on Armani Winfield as well. We'll see what it does as a freshman. The wide receiving core is is the place with the most question marks. Again, just like the defensive backfield on the defense. But I'm still not too concerned with what we're going to get.
1: Yeah, I agree, man. And I feel like this is a unit who is so deep and so talented that we're gonna see somebody flourish. And it might be somebody we didn't even mention. You know, this could it could be somebody who just comes out of nowhere, like kind of Drew Estrada did last year, and takes over. But the thing is, they have the bodies there, uh, and they got more more guys coming in. But regardless, it's gonna take somebody who can get the ball to them. It's gonna take somebody who can find you downfield. We need somebody to stretch the field for them next year let's go ahead and segment three and let's rank the big 12 quarterbacks where do you have gary bohannon where do you have gary bohannon we're gonna find out next in the bears illustrated podcast the chilling new original docuseries on paramount plus a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. What's up everybody welcome back into the bears illustrated podcast i'm garrett he's pernay and man let's do it let's jump right into this i was sitting there thinking today about how we could fill this show out and let's have some i was like let's do something fun let's do something unique let's do our top five quarterbacks in the big 12 and without further ado man let's jump into it the top five the top five all right man i'm gonna stop at number five i'm gonna go with max duggan uh you know and the reason I have him in the middle of the pack is I feel like he's been there. Um, mm-hmm. He knows what to expect from these defenses, but at the same time he's he's been inconsistent. I really don't trust him. Uh, and then I think really the biggest factor is the Chandler, Chandler Morris issue. Uh, it, it feels like Duggan is one mistake or two mistakes away from just – being forced out of the position and more than likely hitting the transfer portal. Uh, And obviously that's all speculation. I just, that's what I see with this situation. And when I see TCU and I see Max Duggan, uh, that is my number five. Who do you have at number five?
0: I have Dylan Gabriel at number five. I know a lot of, a lot of people are high on him and think he's going to do great at at OU. And, and I think he will do really well. He has offensive coordinator, Jeff Levy, who was his offensive coordinator, in 2019 at UCF, um, and they'll work well together probably. I think that he's going to be a good, good quarterback, but in his entire career, over two and a half seasons until he got hurt last year, he's been absolutely fantastic against players and opposing defenses who he has a clear talent advantage against. And then when it comes to teams that have similar talent levels to him and his team, he's kind of not been as good. For example, in 2020, he threw for, I think he threw for like 3,500 yards, 32 touchdowns, four picks, 60% completion percentage. But then when you look at the top three defenses he played, against Cincinnati, he only had a 53% completion completion percentage with three touchdowns and a pick. Against BYU, he had a 46.7 completion percentage. And then against Tulsa, he had 55% completion with a touchdown and a pick. So he's going to be facing a lot of that competition A lot of that level of competition in the Big 12, week in and week out, I don't think he'll be as great as he was in the AAC.
1: Interesting. I like that. I like that. On to number four. I am going north of the border. I'm going into Stillwater, and I'm going Spencer Sanders. Uh, This is a guy, dude, who I remember when he was coming out of Denton Ryan, he was really, really good. Uh, I thought that he would be able to go up to Oklahoma State, get in that system, get with those talented receivers that are always there, and flourish. And that just hasn't been the case, man. Uh, While he did lead them to the Big 12 title game last year, and they they gave Baylor, obviously, it went down to the literally down to the wire. Um, Mm -hmm. I just don't trust him week to week. Uh, And so for that reason, I have him at number four. Uh, who are you going with at number four?
0: I'm also going with Spencer Sanders at number four. Nice. For, for pretty much the same reasons. He's he's an inconsistent quarterback. He has some absolutely fantastic games and then some, some dumpster fire games. He had 20 touchdowns and 12 picks last year. Seven of those picks were in the two games against Baylor. So I, that definitely speaks a lot to Baylor's defense, but it uh-huh. also shows just – how how up and down he is because in that Notre Dame game, which is also which also has a good defense, he was really good. He brought them back from like a twenty five point deficit, and he he had like five hundred total yards, four passing touchdowns, making crazy throws on the run, and making th- making accurate throws deep, middle, short. So he's he's when he's up, he's up, and when he's down, he's down.
1: I agree. I I I couldn't say it better. I mean, I really think that. He's just, man He's never lived up to the potential I hate to say it He just never has And and when you talk with some people out of Stillwater I think that's the general consensus I mean, he's a great kid He just, for whatever reason It doesn't click at times Uh, But at the end of the day We
0: both still got him at four So Yeah We we think he's good Just just not as good Yeah,
1: he's just not as good That's very, very well put Number three For me, man And look I'm probably gonna Get some crazy looks Quinn Ewers. And it's, it's it's not guaranteed that he's going to be the guy, quote, unquote. Not, you know, Hudson Card is a really solid quarterback as well. But I, I think that at the end of the day, we all know it's going to be Quinn Ewers. That's why he went to Texas. Uh, but for me, man, I, I think if we were going strictly off of potential and raw talent, I would hands down put Quinn Ewers as number one. Like, hands down. Yeah. Uh, but this is also a kid who... Could have been playing high school football last year and was four string on the Ohio State squad. And look, I understand why he did it. If I was Quinn Ewers, I would have done the same damn thing. You're going to give me <laughs> millions of dollars, uh, a new truck, and some kombucha money? I'm all in. I'm going up there and I'm going to get my money. Uh, so I don't blame him one bit for that. But at the same time, I think that this is a guy who's going to have, he's never played. A snap of college football, really. Um, he's going to have to learn a complex scheme. Uh, but granted, when you come from South Lake Carroll and that Dodge system, you, you know what the hell you're doing. Uh, but I feel like there's a lot of pressure, too, um, and expectations. And, and half of it's unwarranted. It just comes with going to Texas, and all the outside noise. Uh, but for those reasons, I have Quinn at number three. Who do you have?
0: Speaking of crazy looks... You might be wondering why you haven't heard this name yet. I got Hunter Deckers from Iowa State at number three. <laughs> I, know, I know he hasn't had any experience. He's coming off of... Well, he's, he's coming into a, a team where he's got to follow up Brock Purdy, and he's going to be compared to Brock Purdy. But I just think he's really good. I think he, he's probably... I think he's better than Brock Purdy. This dude... I was watching some of his game film, and most of, granted, most of it was seven on seven. But he can make all the throws. He can make throws to the sideline. He can throw the deep ball. He's athletic, and there was a there was a play last year. It was kind of in garbage time against Iowa, where he made a really nice touchdown throw. For like, I think it was like a twenty yard touchdown throw. It was just a really nice ball. I'm watching this dude. He has talent and. He, from what we're what from what we're hearing from the Iowa State camp he has the mental fortitude and he has the want as well so i got him in number 3
1: nice i look that's a kid i i i love i i really enjoy what matt campbell has been able to do up there i think he's a terrific coach and it's it's kind of cool to see them that rejuvenation and spark in that program so i i, I wish him nothing but the six su- the best of success this year and am really going forward but let's go to number two number two i got gary bohannon at number two uh this is a guy that we know how we know how good gary is i, I am there's always room for improvement and after watching him throw at the, the pro camp i thought his deep ball looked really good that's something he was been um working on diligently, but at the same time, that's you're in shorts. There's no pressure. You know, you got to consider that as well. So I'm not going to sit here and say this is the best deep ball I've ever seen or anything. Uh, but at the same time, this is a dude that's completed 63% of his passes last year uh, Threw for over 2,200 yards, 18 touchdowns and added nine touchdowns on the ground. Um, he's a proven leader. Uh, my, one of my concerns is last year, his main receiver was Taquan Thornton and rightfully so. Uh, but that's a guy he has built extremely, extremely well chemistry with uh, since they came in as freshmen, and that's somebody that's gone now. Um, Can he adapt? And also, at the same time, going back to segment two, who is he going to be able to throw to? Who is he going to be able to rely on? So there's a lot of factors there, but I feel like what we've seen as a whole and what we know the potential around him, that's why I have Gary at number two.
0: Yeah, I also have Baylor starting quarterback at number two. Whether it's Gary Bohannon or Blake Shapen, they haven't announced who it's going to be yet. Um, I think Blake Shapen's really good. He has a deep ball. He he played fantastic football in the Big Twelve Championship game. I I do have to flip my pick after seeing Jerry Gary's deep ball at pro day. I think he'll win the job now because that was my concern—the accuracy in the deep ball and. The way he was making throws, hitting these receivers in the hands, I think he's going to be the starter now. I feel like Blake Shapin has pushed him a lot in the QB competition. And with that deep ball, he's he's basically a complete quarterback because he's got that arm strength. And once he has that arm strength, he can make all the throws. He's still great with his legs. So I think he's going to have a fantastic season for Baylor.
1: I couldn't agree, man. I couldn't agree more with you on that one. And that leaves one, that leaves one. And I already, I already feel the shade coming from me from your direction for this, but my number one is Dylan Gabriel. Uh, and look, you bring up some really good points. Uh, regarding Gabriel uh, as far as the defenses that he played against um, and not being able to have that kind of success against the the higher caliber. But at the same time, I feel like this is a guy who is walking into a situation in Oklahoma where he's going to be playing and surrounded by the best talent of his life. Um, and when you look at a guy like Marvin Mims on the outside – uh, that he's going to be his number one receiver. Uh, he's never played with anybody like that. And I think that you're going to really see him flourish in this system, rekindling with Jeff Levy. Um, granted, the competition, it's going to raise. The bar's going to be raised a little bit. But I feel like his his comfortability in the system and the talent around him, given with his track record, makes him really dangerous. Yeah, I can't
0: blame you for having him at number one. He He's Got a pedigree. He was really good at UCF. I just think that the week-in, week-out, pick-12 defense is going to give him some trouble. Um, and it's funny. Number one was actually the easiest for me. I started making this making this list, and I was like, oh, number one, Quinn Ewers. Quinn yeah. Ewers. He's the first perfectly rated quarterback recruit since Vince Young, way back in 03. Trevor Lawrence was like a .999 out of 1,000, so we can compare him to those two. And both of them had great first seasons. Trevor Lawrence threw like 30 touchdowns and four interceptions. Threw for over 3,000 yards. The team won the national championship. Vince Young was fantastic with his legs. He had just under a 1,000 yards on the ground and double-digit rushing touchdowns. Took Texas to a 10-2 and record in the Big 12. And I think that Quinn Ewers is going to do basically the same thing. When you have a quarterback rate, rated that highly there's a reason for that and he has absolutely all the gifts all the talent he he's accurate with his deep ball his middle ball with the short throws he has touch he was the way he was described in the scouting report was a fantastic pro style quarterback who has the athleticism and mobility to be considered a dual threat quarterback, which basically means he's a perfect
1: quarterback. <laughs> he can do a little bit of everything. <laughs> I mean, so I, just think, I think he's so great.
0: I think
1: he'll be number one. I, you know, look, he's got all the talent in the world around him. And, and look, we're going to do this. We're going to dive into some of these other position groups as well. And I think we'll, the next one we should do is going to be running back. And when you look at the Longhorns running back group, I, I feel like, that's really going to help him a lot, take the pressure off of him. But Texas has a lot of holes to fill along their offensive line. And I don't know that Quinn has ever really dealt with pressure uh, coming at him the way he's going to see it uh, next year. Uh, And I think he's going to be terrific. Like I I said, I I feel like if we were going off of just raw talent and potential, he's hands down. Number one, Uh, I just feel like he's got some work ahead of him. I, that's why i have him at three he could easily be number two or number one um but yeah he's gonna be a lot of fun uh to watch uh and he's he's a terrific young man he's coming from a hell of a system at south lake Carroll, uh and it's gonna be interesting to see what he can do but uh, i definitely see why you have a number one
0: yeah he just has everything he has the size the athleticism the arm strength um But do you think it'll be more difficult for him to do what Trevor Lawrence did, considering he's in the Big 12 and Trevor was in the ACC, or do you think that they're comparable conferences?
1: I mean, it's... I think it's possible. I'm definitely not going to say it's not possible. I, I think when you look at the raw talent that Texas has year in and year out, um There's no reason that they shouldn't be in contention for the national championship and and all of their quarterbacks to have that same type of success, but they just can never put it together. So uh, while I think that's a very great question, I think that you could easily say, yeah, he, he could be right there with Trevor at the same time, man, I just... I need to see somebody be able to go in there, grab a hold of the reins like Vince did, like Colt McCoy did, and just go with it. And I haven't been able to see that yet. Uh, maybe Quinn's the guy, and I wouldn't put it past him to be. Uh, but that's the one reason I'm a little hesitant on that.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I just, I, yeah, I mean, my thing is that when someone's so talented and so highly rated coming out of high school. They're going to be good from day one.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point, man. And That's all the time we got here for today. Uh, what are you working on right now, Pernod?
0: Right now I'm working on a couple articles. The first one's the the Kendall Brown one, talking about how he's going to translate to the NBA. That should be out probably tomorrow. Um, and then I'll have something else about one of the NFL or one of Baylor's players going to the NFL, probably like Dorton. Thornton
1: awesome uh baylor had a lot of recruits were on campus yesterday uh, i spent the day reaching out to a few of them um I, I was able to connect with about six of those guys i have an article out right now on bearsillustrated.com uh over a five-star punter from coppell who was on campus as well um and, and then i'll have some more coming out throughout the week uh, but that's what i'm working on uh, man this has been a lot of fun uh and I hope that everybody who is listening uh, enjoys this. Uh, we appreciate all of you, uh, your subscribers uh, and your support. We, we truly appreciate that. And, uh, man, Pernay, it's been fun. I'll catch up with you again. Uh, but this is all we have, the time we have today. You've been listening to the Bears Illustrated Podcast